Hey, and welcome to Full Proof Theology. My name is Chase Davis, and I'm your host. It's great to be with you. Head on over to the Patreon. We actually have another video live there. Uh, the first one was on kind of what was going on with Matt Chandler. It looks like he's coming back from his break at the Village. And this latest one was on Guy Mason at City on a Hill Church in Australia and some controversy that happened there regarding his uh, president of the board getting fired from a soccer club because of Christian beliefs. Uh, that's behind the paywall for now. So head on over to the Patreon. The link is in the show notes. You can sign up there. Well, today I wanted to do kind of a more of a personal story on my experience with a particular thought leader within evangelicalism. The reason I want to do it uh, is not kind of a, a diary entry. It's more of a sharing with you to maybe help you put some pieces together because I wasn't able to put some pieces together of what was going on in evangelicalism and in Christian culture in America. And so I just want to kind of give a brief synopsis of my uh, my perspective now, looking back on where I've been for the last like six years uh, regarding this one particular figure, and that figure is Russell Moore. And so uh, just to kind of set the stage right off the bat, anytime I publicly kind of uh, take up uh, or take issue with something Moore says, um, and I try not to attack his character or question his salvation, but I simply disagree with his proposals and his ideas for for Christianity and for our society. Invariably, I get a direct message or a message from somebody being like, why did you do that? Like, he's a good guy. Why are you doing this? And, uh, you know, that's fair enough. That's the way people behave in tribes. And so I understand why, they're, why they are perturbed by my critique. And I think the same thing is true of Tim Keller when James Wood's article came out on Tim Keller or not. It wasn't on Tim Keller. It was on kind of the, the winsome approach to, uh, to politics and Christianity. Uh, he got all sorts of flack for kind of doing that. And so in my head, the way I was thinking about this episode particularly is I remember listening to the, kind of the first critique of Tim Keller's approach that I had heard from Aaron Wren. And I remember exactly where I was. We were driving back from kind of seeing from some family for the holiday in Texas. We we're just south of Oklahoma City. And at the time, I was listening to The Masculinist, which is now the Aaron Wren show. And he was offering a perspective on Tim Keller. And uh, I can put a link to that in the show notes. It's a, it's a very good episode. Uh, and what Aaron does is he tries to show, look, we can appreciate who he is and the time and place he he existed within and also acknowledge there is some kind of vulnerabilities with his approach to ministry. And I just thought that was really helpful. Um, I probably can't do it as well as Aaron in terms of being Aaron's, a, you know, his uh, craft was a consultant. And so he can be pretty plain. I'm, I get a little bit more excited. In fact, I actually recorded this episode two days ago and I was just getting way too, uh, way, way too kind of, redlining with my emotions. Uh, so that episode will never see the light of day. So I wanted to kind of do a redo. First, I want to kind of recap who is Russell Moore. Well, right now, Russell Moore is the editor-in-chief at Christianity Today. And I'm sure it's somewhat of a dream job for Russell Moore because he wrote his dissertation on Carl F.H. Henry, who was one of the founders of Christianity Today back in the uh, mid-20th century. And so it feels like he's coming kind of into his own, something he's been uh, doing for for a while. 
Um, before that, he was the director of Christianity Today's Public Theology Project. Um, I've seen him interacting at the University of Chicago often re recently as well. Before that, he was uh, the president of the Ethics and Re Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, the ERLC. And so that is the kind of the arm of the Southern Baptist Convention that is focused on political engagement. Um, it's like a political action kind of deal where they send uh, ERLC reps to advocate for Southern Baptist issues before the government. And so that's, and they also write and publish material that's helpful. So for example, when um, Obergefell got passed, they released a whole whole document on what you could add to your church bylaws and statement of faith to protect you from e any lawsuits or anything like that. In fact, our church actually used some of that language as well. Um, and before that, he was the provost and dean at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. And so he taught theology and ethics. And he grew up at, in Mississippi. And uh, from what I understand of his biography, he was kind of interested in politics in high school. Um, at that point in Mississippi, it was more Democrat. Uh, so I don't know if that is a something he walked away from and is walking back to. I don't know where, where that starting point ended up for him, but I just know that that's where he started out. So right now he's the editor-in-chief of Christianity Today. Um, as far as kind of like my own appreciation of him, um, I started noticing his writing when I was in seminary uh, and I wanted some thinking on public theology and he was typically a voice I would listen to. Um, his book Onward came out in 2015. Um, it was on, I mean, the subtitle is Engaging the Culture Without Losing the Gospel. I've got a copy of it here. Um, you know, and so he wants to really push back on like the religious right. And he also doesn't want us to uh, pull back into isolation. So it, at the time, I thought it was a really helpful book. In fact, in, in my notes in here, I, I show connections with James Davidson Hunter, who I also thought was very helpful. He wrote a book called To Change the World. Um, in fact, uh, 2019, Russell Moore was the main stage speaker. He did about four sessions at the, uh, at the 2019 Acts 29 uh, kind of conference, annual conference. And so I got Russell Moore to sign. You can't see it on the video. There it is. Got him to sign the my book, uh, I think I got a picture with him too. And so Russell Moore was a big kind of name for me. Um, and I didn't understand when people criticized him. I was very perplexed when people criticized him. Uh, a good example is back in 2016, I saw Doug Wilson uh, getting after uh, Russell Moore on his blog. And that really perplexed me. I was like, why is, what is Wilson's deal? Like, why, why does he keep attacking who I believe to be allies? Like, why isn't he more like, ready to play ball with people who are obviously opposed to a Obergefell um, and are Christian, why would he not be more open to Russ Moore? And so I, I was perturbed by this up. I mean, obviously through 2019, I was still uh, kind of like following Russ Moore thinking, okay, this is a good, reliable person. Even when he was critiqued, uh, you know, I was like, well, you know, he just has a different perspective. Um, in fact, I heard one legendary story where after 2016, he pretty much, I mean, he, he is a true never Trumper and, um, and he made that known. Um, and he wrote articles about this, right? And he, he wrote things like in first things in 2017, can the religious right be saved? 
Um, he wrote in 2016, May 6, 2016, a, in the New York Times, a white church no more. And so he's criticizing a lot. Uh, and, you know, that's his prerogative. Uh, it's odd to do that to as the kind of leader of the RLC. Uh, you know, you're you're criticizing your base, you know, uh, evangelicals, uh, presumably Southern Baptists showed up in big numbers for Trump um, and are more aligned with the religious right. And so for him to go public criticizing his own constituency so hard, it, it would it would make sense why so many of his own constituency would not appreciate that. Um, and I think there was one story where he had to go apologize, fly down to Dallas and apologize to a prominent Southern Baptist pastor uh, for for some of the things he said. And so I was very much in the more camp, so to speak, um, kind of following him. And when that's when 2020 hit and that really kind of shook things up for, for everyone. And so I started reevaluating some of the stuff he was saying and paying attention. And so like for me, Russell Moore was like, man, what does he think about coronavirus? What does he think about, you know, all the things going on with race in America, all this stuff. And what I found was just kind of the, was a person who was just kind of towing the line in terms of not really questioning. In fact, he was still doubling down on his critique of his own constituency. Um, and that's part of what led him to leave the Southern Baptist. And this was the thing that really revealed something to me. So in the Southern Baptist uh, convention, there's been a big in-house debate about um, abuse cover-up. And wherever that's happened, that's awful. And uh, there needs to be corrections made and policies updated to deal with it. And so Russell Moore was kind of, he's a big leader in the URLC and they've, they've different uh, in the SPC, they've got lots of committees and executive committees, all this stuff. And so as he's leaving the Southern Baptist, you know, uh, he's about to go kind of get a dream job at Christianity today. Now he's the editor in chief. So he's not, his career is not being uh, threatened. In fact, that's, what's funny is like somebody who's so willing to criticize his own constituency in the highest echelons of like the New York times. Um, you, you know, that that person is not afraid of kind of like losing their job, like they're going to be taken care of. And so he, he wrote a letter to, I think he was president Greer who used to be uh, summit church used to be Acts 29 until uh, I guess they got Greer aside in the SPC and were like, Hey, if you want to be president, you need to leave Acts 29. That's speculative, but that's what it seemed like to me. Um, and so he wrote a letter to Greer and the letter just reads like it, it was meant to be leaked. And so the letter was written in 2021 on his way out. And he's talking about how there's all this abuse cover up, how he was in the meetings where abuse was being covered up, blah, 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 blah. And he goes on and everything in the language reads as if it's a public statement, but it's the letter itself is like, dear Mr. Greer. And it's, it's supposed to be something that's like private correspondence but it looks like it was intended to be leaked. And look, I get that you may not view it that way. That's your your call. But if you if you kind of know how politics works and, and know how political thinkers work, that's kind of a thing that happens. Well, in the letter, what's ironic is that he criticizes the abuse or what he perceives as covering up of abuse within the SBC, but he was part of that team. He was like in in those meetings. And so he had the opportunity to do something about it, but instead of actually doing something about it, if it's true, he decides to like go scorched earth on the way out. And so that's to me was like the thing where I was like, 
I don't think I can trust this guy. I don't think this guy's trustworthy. I don't think his intentions are very transparent. I don't think he's being honest with what he wants. And so some other things uh, that were going on in 2020 um, was he was talking about kind of like rejoicing in the death of uh, Christian culture dying. And this is right in line with like what Ray Orland was saying. So uh, Russell Moore said, that the decline of Christian culture is both good for the church and good for the church's engagement with the outside world. Because in a post-Christian culture, it is less likely that the faith will be invoked to advance some worldly end. Uh, Ray Orland said, I, I rejoice at the decline of Bible Belt religion. It made bad people worse in the name of Jesus. And so these guys are very, uh, they have a very low estimation of Christian culture. And that was what really tipped my hand as someone who's living in Boulder, ministering in Boulder, watching what's going on. And I'm I'm in, I'm in a church parking lot, worshiping with my children and my wife. And I'm like, you know what I would give to be in a state, in a place where we could worship in a building with kids programming, with Awanas, with with Christian music. Uh, do you know what I would give for Christian culture to raise my family in? Like, I would give a lot. Like, that's that's a really good thing for people, and for them to just kind of like double down on like. Thank God Christian culture is dying. That to me was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. And all of a sudden I started looking back at all the stuff that Moore had said and done. And it, it under, it, it, I, it made me realize. I started to look back at all the stuff he had said and done. And it made me realize this guy's not operating in good faith. In fact, his vision for cultural engagement, it's very much like an anti-vision and that, it's one of abdication and retreat. It's the same attitude where the best place for the church to be is under persecution. The best place for Christians to be is suffering. And so these people that kind of advocate for this viewpoint, they're very okay with uh, kind of this attitude of like Christians shouldn't have any kind of uh, vision for self-assertion, for self-preservation. There shouldn't be any kind of like when you vote, there should, in their mind, there should be no attitude towards, I'm going to vote for things that will help me. Uh, in their mind, that's selfish and sinful. And so there's a huge disconnect there. All this kind of gets gets up to this past week where Russell Moore uh, wrote an article in Christianity Today. And on Thursday, it went behind the paywall, which really stinks. So I'm only going to get part of it. And that that's what I tried to read earlier this week. I tried to read, do a live reading of this. And that's where I just got too animated. Um, and so there's this article in Christianity. Day. I'll link to it. Uh, I refuse to subscribe, unsubscribe when they release the article on Steve Timmis. Uh, and it says, what's wrong with winsomeness? What's wrong with winsomeness? That's the title of the article. Um, and so up at the top, it, it's quoting some people about criticizing winsomeness and criticizing their opponents. There's no evidence of who these people are. In fact, um, if it is talking about anyone that, that I would know that's talked to like Nat Con or anything like that, it doesn't resemble anything I've ever heard. Um, and so his suggestion is that people who want to fight the culture war, they are trying to get rid of, they're trying to get rid of uh, Christian virtue. Uh, and it's just odd. It, it's not something I've heard. Um, and so in one of these paragraphs says the idea that kindness, gentleness, endurance, and self-control don't work anymore comes up often. Um, 
A common critique of evangelical pastor Tim Keller is that his patient explanation of the gospel, his belligerence against sin but not sinners, works in a neutral co- culture of the past, but not in a ho- hostile culture like this one. Setting aside the question of whether New York City in the late modern age could be considered neutral to evangelical culture, the larger point is that the idea of a culture neutral to Christianity is itself a liberalizing religion. And so what he's trying to critique is, look, these people who are anti-winsome, if you want to call them that, and and they're not, some of these people that are critiquing winsome actually do it in a very winsome way, uh, come to find out. it's They're not questioning if we should follow Jesus and all of his teachings. They're questioning if we're actually following Jesus enough. They're saying, look, yes, like all the fruit of the Spirit and all the ethics that Jesus taught us, and what about all the other things in the Bible that we see? What about the other kind of attitudes? And um, and so he 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 does this funny thing, and this is where Aaron Wren really hits the nail on the head, and these were some observations he shared where he talks about more operating like a fundamentalist. And that's that's what's changed with more, and that's what I've noticed with more. And when I look back and I look, he's kind of the same fundamentalist attitude. He has it, but what's changed with him are what are the fundamentals, right? The, the fundament, what what is forming his world. And so for him, like right here, to think that pretend Christianity, claiming the goals of Jesus while ditching his ways, embracing Christian values without individual new birth. So right now he's saying that people who pursue or claim the goals of Jesus and embrace Christian values without, he's claiming they're not actually Christians, pretend Christians, to claim that pretend Christianity is somehow closer to Christ than is outright paganism is the opposite of what Jesus himself told us. That reference, Matthew, he references Matthew 21, 31. I was looking it up and I do not see why he's referencing that passage. Um, And in fact, I don't understand this critique uh, at all. I mean, I understand it from his perspective. He's saying that, look, cultural Christianity is not somehow better than outright paganism. And so this is a common critique of his, he's saying pretend Christians, cultural Christians are pretend Christians, they're nominal Christians. And for him, these are the worst people in the world, not the people who are trying to to put puberty blockers in kids and trying to kill babies in the womb. No, those aren't the worst people in the world. Those aren't the people that are, are the most egregious in terms of ethics. And this is a guy who taught ethics. So like you would think he would know this, but no, for him, those people aren't in terms of like gradation of sin. Those people aren't uh, sinning in a worse way. Uh, In fact, he thinks the people that are claiming Christ but aren't really regenerate are worse than the outright paganism. And so this is just a fundamental disagreement that I have with his idea of what it means to engage the culture and engage the world. And this attitude shapes a lot of the way he views things. He's going to constantly, constantly berate Christian culture people who are culturally Christian. And I understand that critique. I grew up in Dallas. I know, and I understand what he's critiquing, but I'm telling you that it would be better for my grandchildren to be raised in a nominally Christian culture than an outright pagan culture, because in a nominally Christian culture, they're going to have a better opportunity to honor God and become regenerate. It's, and for him, for more, he thinks the opposite. Right. He thinks it would be better if everything was outright pagan, because then that would just clearly show who the Christians are and who they are. And I get that. I'm in Boulder. Like, that's something that a lot of people that come to Boulder, they reflect on that. They say, well, at least we know where people land. And so it can be refreshing 
uh, in some sense when you do it ministry in that kind of context, because there's not a, not a lot of nominal Christians in Boulder, right? And so I get his frustration. I just think he's misreading the Bible and misreading how Christianity shapes culture and how culture shapes politics and all these things. Um, and so he, he, he's accusing people that are attacking winsomeness of, of jettisoning, getting rid of uh, Christ-like virtue, which that's not what I've seen. I've just seen people questioning the strategy. And I think this, this gets on a key point. And, and I think this is where I kind of want to wrap it up is that the winsome crowd, and maybe some of you listening are part of this winsome crowd. Winsomeness is a strategy. Now, if you're in the winsome crowd, you hate that. Like you think winsomeness is biblical. Like it is what the Bible teaches. Oh my gosh, that is exactly what we're supposed to do. We should have a winsome witness trademark in the world. And we should engage the culture without any kind of hostility. We should constantly you know, kind of float the harder doctrines on easier doctrines. If we're in a secular culture, we're going to say certain things to appeal to certain audiences before we introduce other ideas that maybe call them sinners. And so you think that winsomeness is what the Bible teaches. And I'm calling into question that very paradigm. And I get that rattles a lot of people. And I understand why that's upsetting. But winsomeness was a strategy invented in the 80s and 90s and kind of this this uh, evangelical conservatism, whether it was RTS, winsomely reformed, and other places, it was a strategy developed to engage culture in a way that wasn't so combative. In in a in a big way, this is what evangelicalism in the mid twentieth century was founded on. This idea that if we want to win people, we need them to respect our ideas, and we need to be seen as respectable. And so we're going to start Christianity today. And we're going to engage the culture with uh, respect. But what they're not noticing is that they keep drifting as the culture drifts. So the way they, they determine respect is on, they're only going to touch on the things that the predominant secular elite are, are going to put up with. And so they're constantly, their, their positioning on how they engage issues is constantly shifting based on how the culture is going. And so that's why in 2020, when none of these guys were, were being honest or they weren't, they weren't really being helpful to churches when they talked about, you know, race in America or coronavirus, they were just kind of like towing the line. It's because they're motivated by getting the respect of the world. That's what they're motivated by. And I look at my own heart and like, that's what a lot of what, not a lot, that is some of what was motivating me when I was in the winsome perspective, because I thought that ministry in Boulder, we could get more people in the door if we show that we're respectable Christians and we're not like those dumb Christians that you see on TV, we're not those other Christians from your fundamentalist church. We're the cool Christians. And I would have never said that, but that's when I look back on it, that was a lot of the the grid through which I was evaluating how we're going to do ministry here. And so the winsomeness thing developed in the nineties as a strategy for cultural engagement. And if you can't see that, here's the, here's the thing for me. If you, if you still don't believe me that it's a strategy, I want you to take the winsomeness paradigm that you believe to be biblical, and then I want to, you to evaluate two things. One, the prophets in the Bible, and two, church history. Because if you take your winsomeness paradigm as the only way to engage culture, 
and then you look at church history and you look at how Luther talked or John Knox talked or how, how men fought and, and died over certain doctrinal matters. And if, if your winsomeness paradigm would geld and neuter all the reformers from ever having any kind of combative stance or taking a stand for truth, then, then that reveals to me that it, it is a current modern uh, or postmodern strategy for cultural engagement. And if it is a strategy, if that's true, then we should, it, it is totally fine to revisit that strategy and see how either we can improve upon it or get rid of some things that need to get, be got rid of. The same thing happens when you look at the Bible, you use the winsomeness paradigm. If you think that's the Bible and you look at the Bible, you use it as the lens to look at the prophets in the Old Testament. And how they spoke about other nations, how they spoke about their own nation, and if your winsomeness paradigm would would make would would make them violators of the Bible itself and how they spoke, then that that your paradigm is revealed to be a strategy, not the Bible. So winsomeness is not some fruit of the spirit. It's not listed in the Bible. It's simply a word that's a strategic word to summarize an attitude of cultural engagement. And with that said, it's highly ironic. That the people most sensitive to this critique are the very people who created the winsomeness model out of an attitude of contextualization. Pulling on Leslie Newbegin, they wanted to pull from this idea that we need to engage the post-Christian West in new ways, and therefore we need to create new strategies to engage it, and they come up with winsomeness, and then you go, maybe times have changed again. Maybe you need to reevaluate the strategies. Well, as soon as you question their strategy they act like it's the bible when they're the very ones that came up with a strategy for engaging a post-christian culture and then named it winsome and so for them to kind of act like fundamentalists and this just gets back to ren's critique they act like fundamentalists when it comes to their own strategies and they read into the bible this winsomeness paradigm that may or may not be true in some places as if it's the only way for cultural engagement it's like no like you guys were the very ones that were talking about contextualization and all this stuff that we need to develop new strategies to engage the post-Christian West. And how are we going to engage it? And you came up with a word and now you're acting like that's the only way. And it's like, dude, like God is always leading his church to engage the world in a way that is both biblically rooted and faithful, but also meets the times for what they are. And so that's the big critique with more, you know, he seems to be somebody who's unable and unwilling to explore other attitudes, um, he seems to be someone who's only interested in critiquing the church. He doesn't like Christian culture. And so these are big differences I share with him. And I believe he's operating as a Christian. But these are kind of the big things I see with more. What do you think? Share in the comments what you think about this. Uh, where where am I wrong? Where where am I missing things? If you're in the win team winsome and it bothers you, these critiques, share share your feedback. I want to hear from you. Next week on the podcast, we're going to have Glenn Moots, and we're going to talk about uh, politics and Baptistic ecclesiology. And so you can look forward to that coming soon. Don't forget to sign up for the Patreon so you can get exclusive content that we're not publishing publicly. And until we talk with Glenn, see you next time. Have a great week.